It seems that spring has finally come and we are also back with a new, fresh episode. Hello friends and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of Cross-Pollination with me, your host, Chetna Pai. Today we have two more residents who are presenting their work at Proximity Music in Den Haag from the 7th to the 9th of April, so don't miss your chance to see these fascinating projects in the flesh. In each episode of this podcast, I am in conversation with two artists from the III's network about the work they're currently doing, how they got there, what they'd like to do next, and everything in between. If you're new here and you're wondering what III is, it's the Instrument Inventors Initiative, an artist-run community platform supporting new, interdisciplinary practices linking performance, technology, and the human senses based in The Hague. For this episode, I have Naomi Rincon Gallardo and Vika Pacheco in the studio with me. They both are originally from Mexico and are now developing works that connect in different ways to their Mesoamerican heritage. We talk about their projects, mythology, decolonization, ancient technologies, feminist movements in Mexico, and their hope for the future. Listen on to hear more about Naomi's creatures and worlds and Vika's whistling vessels. Ana Victoria, also known as Vika Pacheco, was born in Oaxaca, southern Mexico in 1993. She lives and works in Brussels. She studied art at La Esmeralda in Mexico City before graduating from Villa Arson in France in 2017. Her practice is rooted in experimental music and composition, but she also has a practice in ceramics and 3D animation. Her work is above all eclectic and energetic, inspired by mythological crossbreeding, pre-Hispanic technologies, and syncretism. She likes to arrange the most heterogeneous or hazardous elements between them to produce sound performances and installations. Vika seeks to create a dialogue between animism, ritual, and technology in her series of works, Animacy. Naomi Rincon Gallardo's underworld makings tell entangled stories of creatures who craft obstacles for progress and development, or more precisely, creatures who become themselves the obstacles. In her practice, she tries to articulate an embodied theory intertwined with nature and matter, a theory that can be danced, smelled, and touched. She builds exuberant, crafty, and low-cost, elaborate handmade paraphernalia and attires. She embraces degraded aesthetics that involve no mastery but inventive capacities and effective manual labor. In her aspiration to inter-animate a queer reasoning with the decolonial imperative, she finds a zone of contact that attempts to recover the pulse of life in its multiplicity, ambiguity, and unpredictability. Again, both Vika's project Animacy and Naomi's project The Vermin's Radio will be presented at Proximity Music in The Hague this Friday. If you want more information about the event, you can go to the link in the podcast description, and we hope to see you there. Now, let's get into the episode. Hello, Naomi and Vika. Hope you're both having a good day. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio. Yeah, how are you today? Well, I'm very happy to be here, but I'm also quite jet-lagged. I just landed two days ago, but I'm super, super enthusiastic and uh, excited about the collaborations here in III. Yeah, me too. I'm really happy, excited to be here after several mails, video calls with <laughs> everybody to finally see it, see the place. And yeah, it's next to the water. So that for me, it's fantastic also. Okay, so you both are currently working on projects here that you will be presenting at Proximity Music. And 
our listeners also can come and join and see your projects in person. So that's also really fun. But before they get to see it and before we really get into the conversation, I thought it would be nice for you to each introduce your project so the listener can imagine what this project really is. <laughs> so Vika, would you like to go first? Okay. Well, so let's try to put it in a simple way. Mm -hmm. But I'm working in kind of an extension of a long way project already called Animacy. It's an exploration around pre-Columbian music instrument. So when we say pre-Columbian is before the conquest of Spanish or mm. Portuguese even in in what it's called now Latino America, but what it used to be Mesoamerica. Mm. And this music instrument is called nowadays Whistling Vessel or Vasija Silvadoras or Guaco Silvador. And it is an instrument that gets lost in a certain way after mm. after the conquest because they kind of destroyed everything. <laughs> and and so, yeah, so now it's more like an archaeological instrument uh, than some geeks on ceramics because it's an instrument in ceramics and, and artists try to explore. So I'm one of those geeks that get really fascinated by this technology because for me it's a pre-Columbian technology to produce sound, but also to contain water. I, I've been working on that since a few years and making my own prototypes, fabulating around this instrument. And so what I'm going to do for for a proximity, it's a new installation work. It's going to be like a kinetic installation that I like to call the bionic mangrove because it's kind of a tree. It's really inspired by mangrove trees that are like this kind of branches, long, long roots and long branches. And this tree will be hanging some of my creatures or birds, I call the birds, in constant movement because this particularity of this instrument is that they are hydraulic, flutes mm. and they need movement to produce the sound and so the sound it's really organic it evokes kind of animal sounds and parallel to that i'm gonna be working with three dancer performers that are also musicians and performers to produce little performance that includes the movement of the tree and the movement of the body so yeah, it's going to be many, 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 many things really in movement. So this part of the project, it's called Mitote mm. and mm -hmm. Ojin. So Mitote, it's like, a, yeah, like a, it's not a riot, but it's like a, how can we say, bordelic movement of people doing many things and nowadays in Mexico. And Ojin is, uh, it's kind of a symbol of movement. So for me, everything what is will be happening, it's, lot of movement and movement it's going to produce uh, sound figures and yeah many many other things <laughs> so you have one of these instruments yes here in front of me and I wanted to ask since there's water in it does the sound sound more like water moving or more like whistling mm, so you will see it ah. so it's simple but complex at the same time. We have two containers that are mm. connected. And so the water is inside. We can hear it. 
and so it's going to be the movement that will the movement of my hand the swinging that will that will make the water going to the other part of this double body mm. and it will push the the air through this globular ah. fluid that is inside so and so yeah it's my the movement of my hands that will um, allow the water to create this air pressure ah and like does it have extra holes like a flute to change the yeah rope, yeah yeah or? i can change the pitch with uh, this double the whistle is inside a kind of a resonance chamber mm. that allows me to create this birdy pitch yeah so Beautiful. yeah that's so cool yeah <laughs> This one is called Conejo. I, mm. they, I, I named them. <laughs> is it black clay? No, this is casting clay, like normal casting clay. So yeah, that's one of the family of instruments, one of them. <laughs> and around when were these instruments used, actually? Ooh. How long ago, do you know? Wow, that, well, the most ancient discover it's around 100 before Jesus Christ. Mm. So it's quite a long time yeah. ago. And it was discovered in Ecuador in a culture called Chorrera, if I am not getting wrong. <laughs> and then it expanded in Mesoamerica. So it went until Brazil and Peru. And it went up until almost half of Mexico. So we can discover even in cultures where I come from, in Oaxaca. Mm which are Zapotec uh, regions and Mixteco regions and even a little bit upper. So yeah, it, it's apparently it was really uh, an instrument of we don't know. That's what is interesting um, yeah. as artists, like archaeological, you know, they question like why and the whys will never get really answered. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they were found mostly in small spaces for ceremony purposes. Mm. So they think that maybe there was uh, uses in ceremony as, uh, as funeral rituals or ayahuasca even because it's a container so you can yeah. drink from it also. So that's what it's interesting for me about this object is that it has many qualities like the yeah. container, which is which is for me, I, I really love containers. <laughs> I really I love the idea of containing, containing, containing whatever it can contain, even histories or uh, water. It's For me, it's interesting. Um, yeah, one thing that inspired a lot of this mangrove tree I'm, I'm building, it's a little story that I wrote about a little book about this instrument from Chile, from Chile. And there was one person saying that it used to be used to carry water to the fields when people was working in the fields and they were hanging them to the trees when they um, was taking a break from, from this labor day mm. and the air was moving them so it was making movements mm. and making it sound and so they could take a nap <laughs> And mm -hmm. I found that, yeah, I found that story like really beautiful, yeah. and and that's quite high. Okay, let's let's try to reproduce in a certain way this idea of a, a tree to and an instrument to take a nap, to just deep listening to it and let you <laughs> go. Yeah, it really does have that kind of sound quality that it could put you to sleep if you 
like really organic sound. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's quite organic. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how they knew that there was water put inside these to make them work? I'm just. If. Oh, I think they experiment a lot <laughs> because indeed the instrument can be. You know, if you don't put water, you can blow on it. Ah. And uh, it will continue make the sound. But I think that they, the the, the originals. I invite you to to see them on internet. You can tap a whistling vessel, and mm. they are fantastic. They are so beautiful. It's um, really really beautiful objects, and you can kind of define define them as vessels because yeah yeah it's quite evident. You can see that one part is a container and the other part it's highly decorate with many iconography as animals, even sexual positions. So that's another hypothesis, like, okay, they were evoking sexual positions in mm. this instrument. So, yeah, it's funny because I, I was asking, like, why, why? And I don't know, maybe there are some sounds that yeah. evoke some noises of sexual actions. I don't know. But it's interesting to... Yeah, so I think they just put water and they move it and they say, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it makes sounds. So, yeah. Fascinating how they, like, retrace and puzzle these things together of what might have been happening. Yeah, before, yeah, so. yeah. It's quite fantastic because yeah. it's an idea that, I mean, whoever, whoever in, uh, invented this, it's uh, really was getting really in far, far, far. Yeah. Because the mechanism is it's quite delicate indeed. And Naomi, can you tell us about the project you will work on while you're here? Well, yes, I will be working on some sculptural props that will be shown along a video work that is called Sonnet of Bermin. Mm. I like to call it like a mythical, political, surrealistic fabulation that imagines some unwanted creatures mm. getting together and trying to synchronize each other through radio antennas. And it's called Sonnet of Vermin because I like this, well, Alemania in Spanish, which is Vermin, means this unwanted, disposable mm. species that basically is thought that you have to get rid of them. And so my work is pretty much well, incited with an indignation. I think that indignation can be a very strong force that can spark a project, but also in the tension with desire, rage, hope, etc. And it's, well, these creatures are connected to the Mesoamerican underworld. There's a bat. It's a broadcaster transmitting frequencies from a thumb. And he's basically conjuring up voices of people whose life was interrupted abruptly and unjustly. Mm. So the other characters that are populating these narratives, the, well, there's the bat, then there's a funerary bundle, which that was a, like a part of a funerary practice where they would grab the dead body and they would put a mask on, on mm. top of the face, of the place where the face would be. So... In this narrative, there's a funerary bundle, which is also a radio. Mm. And so this body contains lots of interrupted demands or desires. Then there's an army of arms 
without body. Mm-hmm. And I like very much this this figure, this trope of the horror films of the of the arms coming up from the grave mm. because they don't want to accept the death. They have something to say, they have something to to continue. They are reclaiming for a different kind of life, but also for a different kind of death. And all this happens within a violent moment, history of, of the Mexican territory and the necropolitics and uh, the planetary cataclysm that we're just witnessing every day. So there's this bunch of arms without body, like coming up from the ground and also assisting each other, you know, to create some technologies with garbage. No, they are trying to build a radio with garbage and things like that. Then there's a choir of frogs, Mm. children frogs, who are also cyborgian children frogs who have learned how to metabolize the toxins of a river, which is overpolluted. Not only with garbage, but also with the residues of mining companies, etc. So these frogs have become addicted, but they are reclaiming for more cadmium, for more agrochemicals, because they've they've been learning how not only to survive, but to make noise and mm-hmm. you know and and to sing and to dance, basically at the edge of of the abyss. Then there's also a snake who changes her skin. And, uh, well, <coughs> the snake is a very important creature in the Mesoamerican worldview. And one of the reasons why it's so important is because it has the capacity to change the skin. So it announces also the transformation of the cycles. All these creatures have an antenna mm. because what they are aiming for is to build a sort of subaltern solidarity. Then there's also a scorpion who was considered to be a symbol of sexual transgression. So it's like a queer creature who is reclaiming for the right of infecting others. So the snake, the bat, the scorpion, the frogs, and the funerary bundle. So, and there's another character. The funerary bundle is somehow also the double, the sinister double of a creature who is called Sipakli. In the Aztec world, but it's also a figure that appears in the Mayan tradition, but we can group many groups within this this Mesoamerican sort of worldviews or Mesoamerican cosmologies. And there's Sipakli is like a, a voracious creature which basically devours the dead bodies and whatever exists mm-hmm. in order to bring it to the underworld where it would be transformed and it would be put back to the earth in form of life. Well, this is the plot of the video, you mm. will see. And it was funny because I'm not coming from from the, the field of the sound art. I've never built an instrument. Mm. Um, I usually collaborate with musicians and with sound artists too, but I'm more, I mean, I'm the person who writes the script, the lyrics, who build the props. And for me, working with the hands is super important. Somehow my world makings are handmade mm. with very precarious materials, uh, with whatever I find like, at hand, with whatever I see when I go to the market, and with very cheap materials. Mm. So that's the way I work. 
and I built props, masks, and very cheap paraphernalia. Mm. And so one of the persons here in the III saw the video and he imagined that these objects that I built, especially the frogs that appear in the video, who are covered with electronic garbage, actually mm. would have the potential to exist as sound mm. sculptures. So we started a conversation and then I applied for the residency. And so that's what I will do here. I will collaborate with people who hopefully will have the patience to work with someone <laughs> who doesn't know how to, how to create uh, these sound machines and to work with circuits and to explore some circuit bending technologies. Because for me, it's very important to, to work with the, with the things that are discardable from yeah. the technologies and to explore the glitches and the mistakes and the short yeah. circuits and all that stuff. And also the possibilities with the idea of uh, the, the radio. And the radio is, is very important in the narrative because I live for some years now in Oaxaca originally from Mexico City, but it's a place that for more than 15 years, perhaps, I've been, you know, going back and forth because I have, there's a very special magnetism and because I have very good friends there and because I've been working there and also getting involved with certain communities. And I've learned through the years that there's a very strong presence and role on community and radio stations Mm -hmm. in order to, you know, to foster the community, communitarian organization for the defense of life. Mm. And so I'm also somehow addressing this narrative, but everything is somehow twisted through queer lenses. So talking about cross-pollination, the bat is a great creature, like mm. his role in cross-pollination is super important because he's uh, basically, or she, or they, are, uh, <laughs> you know, Polynized connected. Agave. Yes, agave, which, which is off uh, the most important in Oaxaca. <laughs> of course, they have a, a super important role in yeah. this, like the pollinizing agave to create mm. this marvelous drink. So the bat is also not only connecting and sitting, well, and broadcasting, but it's also kissing everyone. Mm. It's kissing everyone. There is a sort of uh, continuous kiss in this symbiotic mutualism between species. So it's a sonnet, and it's the it's a sonnet that demands the right for for poetry, for celebration, for fun within a moment of planetary disaster, within a moment in which life has become dangerous, mm. when there is an overpopulation of premature death spreading all over the, the Mexican territory, but beyond the Mexican territory, I think we're, we're facing a very dark, a very dark and dangerous moment. But still, I still claim the right, I mean, not to reproduce the grammar of violence, but to reclaim for the right of finding ways of bonding, mm. of creating connections, and of, uh, you know, finding different alternatives to the mindset that have prevailed, you know, yeah. since very long, and which is quite destructive. And I think that's one of the reasons why I find in Mesoamerican philosophies and practices and ontologies 
ways in which we can challenge the modern colonial kind of systems of beliefs. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you explained all the characters so well, but I'm still like trying to imagine this <laughs> all come together. <laughs> but I saw also some photos. So in the film as well, the characters are all played by people. Right? Yes, they are played by people. I, you know, when I work... I call it world making. It's not only what is represented, but also the way in which I try to create a collective experience, a collective moment of belonging together, even if it's ephemeral. But I plan my projects as if I was cooking up a celebration. Mm. I mean, cook for, for people who are involved. Sometimes someone assists <laughs> me because I'm you know, dealing with many things at the same time. But I really like a building this this crew, this gang of people who wants to join me in a journey, which mm. is almost like a surrealistic but also ritualistic journey that honors different philosophies, but also that honors the death. And the, I think we're still reclaiming the memory and we're also, you know, calling back the names of those who've disappeared or killed unjustly. So to do that together with a group of people mm. is a way for me to build a, another memory and to somehow embody this needed rituality. So there's real people. Some of them are non-actors. Mm. I work a lot with non, non-professional performers. I enjoy a lot the, the mistakes, the improvisation. Mm. I myself consider myself as a, as a dilettant in many, many aspects, mm. and that's why I'm here <laughs> in this IIA residency, not knowing very well what I will do. But I like to engage with this creativity and this autonomous capacities to create. Yeah, I'm excited to see the singing frogs come to life yeah me too yeah. <laughs> and Vika how did you or when did you first come across these instruments the whistling vessels yeah the whistling vessels oh well long time ago I think as, as Mexican um, really really interested in what was happening before and where we come from mm. without the story that they told us in school you know and when I was in art school I studied part of my studies in, in France I was far away. Mm. The most far you are, the most near you want to be. So yeah. I started getting interested in what was music in pre-Columbian times and how can we ap- approach this non-musicality as music. I mean, what is music? <laughs> and and yeah. so I started discovering that in, in, in Mesoamerica, sound artifacts were Many, 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 so much was made. And more earphones, or what we can call flutes or mm. whistles. And so I get it really, really interested in what was this? What was this whistles? What was this flutes? And I started uh, thinking them or watching them as prothesis of communication, kind mm. of prothesis that you can plug in your mouth and you can then become a bird, then you can become mm. the rain, you can become, yeah, a jaguar. Yeah. And because many of them were crafted in certain ways to produce certain sounds. And yeah, this blew my mind. I was like, okay, this is fascinating. So I started my own research with clay. And so, yeah, I started producing many of them and making 
artworks in art school with them, like installations using compressed air to create harmonics with many of them. Na -na 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 -na. And then and one day reading about them and talking, I started <laughs> talking with um, archaeologists and anthropologists mm. that were working with that. So they were sharing and sharing me information and and do you know this one and do you know that and do you and I was like wow this is fascinating it's so amazing and most of them you don't have access to the originals mm -hmm. so I started like getting in contact with people that are kind of geeking into that also and reproducing them so once I saw this instrument I said okay let's try to understand how it works and. For me, it was beautiful, a beautiful instrument because it's it's literally the the elements in one object. So we have the earth of the clay, we have the fire to fire the, the ceramic, then we have water inside and then we have the air that yeah. is the, the, the sound of this that is producing. I started um, making my own prototypes on 3D mm. because I use... 3D a lot to work and so yeah I started to make my own shapes my own ways of figuring out how to how to build this instrument through new technologies I had the chance to to do a residency in EKVC which is in Oysterwijk not that far from here and I had the opportunity to apply all these new technologies to arrive to have this ceramic instruments mm. and they helped me a lot so we could uh, arrive to make like 25 30 instruments and i found myself with all this family of of whistles <laughs> and that's where i am now i'm getting into this research because i i try to make some new branches so now it's going to be the, the dance and the movement mm. as they are really sensitive if i'm carrying it and i move it, it will Sing with me, with yeah. my movement. So like this idea to embody, I embody the instrument and the instrument embody with my movement. So, yes. Yeah, I also dance a lot. So this is very interesting to me as an idea to have like this extension of yourself that also mm. responds to your movement. Yeah. And sort of stays at the same pace and tone as you. Yes. As opposed to dancing yeah, yeah. to like an external music piece. This, yeah, works with your body. So that yeah, I think yeah, is yeah. like a very interesting addition yes. to this. And I've been doing it by myself because for when this the performances I do, it's always me that carry mm. it. And so now it's going it's time to free them a little bit <laughs> and to and to and to others to 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 explore it. Um but uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it it continues to be this idea of prothesis, uh, which I, I I really 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 like. <laughs> you both seem to draw a lot from your roots in Mexico and Oaxaca, but also with movement and like the movement of people and objects, and also a bit ritual. I feel since both of you talked a bit about rituals, if you were to collaborate on a project, what do you think that might that could be like? based on what you've heard so far on yeah. each other's works would you want to and what oh, do you think yeah. could come from it <laughs> i mean when you were when naomi was like describing all these creatures and of your film i was just already like wow okay cool 
because I think you are inspired by mythology and I am really deeply inspired, but maybe not in the same way uh, that you and that will be interesting always to work around that and sound of course you're saying like yeah i collaborate with musicians ah, here i am now me <laughs> not, on, not only that i mean if i if i if i look at this object as this whistling vessel that vika brought and she talks about processes i can imagine to have a character with some yeah. you know which is an assemblage with this with these objects and then there's a walking instrument here and there i think there are many connections Mm. to be explored. I mean, I've never thought about collaborating with her because we just met. <laughs> but now I'm getting more interested in her practice and I find these objects absolutely beautiful. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. But, uh, <laughs> and I think both of us are somehow interested in not an essentialist view on ancient cultures, but basically to see them as technologies or knowledges that have been yeah, suppressed. Exactly. And that can give clues to think futures different in a different exactly. way. You say it good. Yeah, but for example, I've always been doing this performance in Europe, like many countries and never in Mexico. Just uh, in May, it will be the first time I will be doing animacy in Mexico, which I am grateful. But it's funny because it's, it's always I finish the, the performance and it's normal the audience come to me and ask me like, What is it? What, what are they? Did you invent this? And for me, it's really important, this moment. This moment for me is, ah, okay, it worked. I opened the door and now we can discuss about what is the history about this instrument, mm. where they come from. And I always explain to people that when I go to this iconography that the originals have, how, why it's not important for me to reproduce this iconography. Mm. For me, it's not, for me, the most essential to imitate the instruments as they used to be but mm. to regenerate in a certain way the history of these instruments and try to open new possibilities of this technology that was cotton yeah. by by colonialism um, and uh, there's also something that makes me think i mean with this idea of the prothesis and to have these objects as part of the body or extensions of the body of course i read the world through queer lenses right so i think of ways in which an extension of your body well first of all makes your body open for different interactions mm. with different substances materials and beings and also when she was saying well now i'm basically extending these subjects to others in order to create different relations it's a way of also quitting the connections and quitting the bondings and quitting the the bodies and i found that super beautiful Super mm -hmm. beautiful, and also you know this way of understanding technology in a non-linear way, totally. yeah. not a progressive way, but in ways in which you can overlap different layers of time. Yes, of course. And I found also this idea of this. How do you call it? Experimental archaeology. Archaeology. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah, super interesting. In, and there are many ex archaeological experiments. It's really new. Huh? It's mm. quite a new approach of, of archaeology. And yeah, you know, some archaeologists, ar archaeologues do that. Like, for example, I don't know, it's in France that they, they try to build a kind of a castle mm. with the technology of that epoch. Mm. So they kind of, and they realize that it was <laughs> just uh, amazing or reproduce exactly a scene of fire with what was in that moment mm. found. 
So how can we make this and how can how can this exist and how can we conceive it now? The kind of practical approach to experimenting with it I think is so interesting because yeah. a lot of these subjects stay quite theoretical and you're exactly. expected to just be okay with that because how what else can it be? You know, sure, it's only sure. theory. But uh, it's really interesting to think about how practically experimenting with this might bring out a lot of other things you couldn't know from just doing theory. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I will sure. look into this now. <laughs> I feel like this is a good rabbit hole yes. to fall down at some point. Yeah. And Naomi, how did you start with your project? Like, how did you start building the characters and all of that? Because you mentioned you were inspired by mythology as well, but was that the starting point? or? Well, it's a long story. I mean, I've been working with certain, I would call them methods, just to use a word that it's available right now, that have to do with finding ways of thinking and acting and th feeling that challenge these modern colonial systems of belief. And and I accessed some of these ideas also through feminism, and specifically through the colonial feminisms mm. in, in Latin America, but also specifically in Mexico. And I think one of the biggest nourishing movements that feminism has been, you know, nourished from is the Zapatista movement. Because the role of the women, the indigenous women as political subjects have been challenged a lot. Heteropatriarchal and colonial views on how things should work in the world, right? So as a feminist, I started to get to know the Zapatista ideas. I was I was a teenager when the Zapatista uprising started and I think for for many of us from that generation that was like a moment of political and ontological epiphany. So through that thread studying experiences or movements or epistemologies that have contributed to create a critique on development and the obnoxious, toxic, destructive effects it has had on our territories, let's say in the global south. So that was somehow one of the initial ideas. But then also being in Oaxaca, I was reading a book by, by Silvia Marcos, who is a, a Mexican decolonial feminist who wrote a book on uh, Zapatista rebel women, and through her, who was somehow collaborating with other people who were publishing texts and thoughts by, by different political actors in Mexico, a booklet came to my hands, which was a you know, homemade printed book with the poems and speeches by an indigenous activist who was killed in mm. Oaxaca in 2010, Betty Cariño. And she was basically dedicating her life to the defense of life mm. and of the territory against, you know, these denim factories that were polluting the rivers and against mining projects, etc. And I was deeply, deeply touched by the fact that this woman was also not only defending life, she was also defending the right for, for poetry. And one of her poems says that, you know, that poetry is another way of of keeping ourselves alive and she was brutally killed 
by the paramilitary. And so she guided me into a journey and the first project in which I somehow, I think I initiated all this way of building worlds or creating worlds was because she guided me with her poetry and I tried to make her poetry to proliferate into different futures and mm. I imagined her, her journey to the underworld where she finds different creatures, animals connected to the Mesoamerican underworld because I also read that in Mesoamerica it was thought that the, the hearts would become seeds Mm-hmm. On the underneath the earth, so they would arrive to the underworld, and there would be a, like a nourishing clay where everything is, you know, bones, ashes, uh, are melted with other substances of the cosmos to bring life back again. So I work a lot with this idea of coming back to life, to reclaiming the life after mm-hmm. the death, and since then I've been exploring creatures that are connected to death and life and the the, the nocturnal forces, but also to the female energies, which are not only these maternal or motherly figures Mm -hmm. who are voracious, destructive, (laughs) and revengeful. Yes, I've been working for for some years, like perhaps eight good years now, like in this field of exploring a lot. Well, exploring is is a tricky word, huh? Yeah navigating, being open to work with these figures, with these knowledges and using indignation as a creative force and trying to tell stories that are animated by desire and not by fear, nor by pain, also with mourning. Are there any other people or projects you draw inspiration from? Any other artists? Would you... Where do you turn to for inspiration or whose work, if anybody? Well, yes, I can mention a lot, not only by by artists, but mm. also by by writers. My work is pretty much inspired by Silvia Marcos, but also by, I mean, I, I think I work in these epistemological crossings between decolonial feminisms and queer of color critique mm and women of color feminism, right? So for me, there are people like who have offered me shelter mm. and moments of respite and nourishment, like Chicano writer Gloria Saldua with this idea of the borderlands and this the, her figure of the Nepantlera, someone who is negotiating different realities. Also, I've been pretty much inspired by the the thought by Rita Laura Segato, an Argentinian anthropologist who's been trying to understand how pedagogies of cruelty are built in, in Latin America through this, what she calls the mandate of masculinity. And she's proposing these counter pedagogies of cruelty that are more based, because if the pedagogies of cruelty are based on detachment, destruction of life, you know, turning life into objects, mm. into, into, I mean, into an utilitarian value just for extraction. She says she counterposes the, the possibility of these counter-pedagogies of cruelty that are based on relationality mm. and on care and on the care of life of the others, but also on the life of uh, more than human. And artists also from this very visceral feminism that it's just expressing its rage 
on the streets that has not to do with academy yeah. but with yeah. a very strong force where there is a demand for life and where the major demand is ni una menos we don't want another woman to be killed in yeah. mexican territory so i also draw a lot from this formless uh yeah. very strong creaming force that is happening uh, which is uh, It's a force. It's something to say as Mexican woman or trans woman. It's super important to to mention that in Mexico, it's it's something. It's a phenomenon. I don't know how to call it. How can we describe it? What it's happening since few years. It's dangerous, it's dangerous to be alive. To be a mm. woman, kill us literally, and um, and it's something. I mean, I'm living mostly of this from far. Because mm, I live yeah. in, in Europe, but it's something that I what you see it's really inspiring to me too. You know what what you what you say um, this movement of women just getting together like like uh, ants. <laughs> you know I imagine like we are creating a huge huge sphere of ants, angry ants. Then one day we'll I don't know it's eat everything because. Because we are so fucking tired of, yeah. of of our reality that we want really to change it, and to change it, there are many. Yeah, I mean, it's many things that are is happening in Mexico through feminism and mm -hmm. and, and, and and yeah, through in the streets, in 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 between us, in in communication, in social media, also how in trying to create to how we call uh, tejer. Weaving, weaving, well, weaving mm. something in 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 I think in all Latin America, but with this problem of feminicidios in Mexico, it's uh, we're weaving something to trying to understand together and trying to react together, and yeah. And Vika, what are you most looking forward to in Ooh. general in your work? Just in general, yeah. Well, what I'm looking for, I'm I'm trying to. Get deeper and deeper in into what I feel it's important in to me. When you go out of your country, and then as I said at the beginning of, of this interview, you get try to get closer to it. So I consider myself like a migrant in a certain way because I I went out, I found possibilities here that I couldn't not find in my country. One of that is security, my security. You know, I, I, I discover now that each time I come back to Mexico and I have to apply all these ways of keeping you safe. But of course, I feel super mega sad and super <laughs> and super frustrated. And I think I'm looking forward one day to come back to Mexico and one day to try to apply knowledge that I am collecting here. The good knowledge, I mean, the, the techniques. <laughs> um, yeah. The many, many things that wouldn't be possible for me to do in, in my country. And one day to, you know, to put everything in a huge backpack <laughs> and bring it and share it with my community. That's kind of a dream. But for the moment, I think I am continuing my kind of research on my artistic practice, which is quite hybrid because I'm oscillating in, in the music, uh, experimental music scene and in the contemporary art scene. And so it's not the same, it's not the same energy neither. But first, I would like to try to understand what I'm doing better <laughs> <laughs> and then 
one day I'm looking forward to coming back to Mexico and to contribute indeed what we are talking with this yeah. movement, with this community, with this feminism. But for that, I think I need to continue a little bit here working on my ideas and my projects. And I'm really grateful because I found support here. And I wish I could find support there, but maybe if I found support here, I can one day come back and be in the support for other people yeah. there. And Naomi, what are you looking forward to? In this residency. In this residency in general. Well, in this residency, I'm already feeling this excitement mixed together with insecurity and feeling quite vulnerable of this, you know, to be ignorant, deeply ignorant again. Mm. which is a possibility for learning. So I'm looking forward to it. But of course, it's terrifying also because I will learn things that I've never done before. So it may fail. Mm -hmm. But I think that the residency is generous enough to give space for failure too. Like I'm excited. I, I feel in a moment of this vulnerability that ignorance brings, that it's scary, but it's also... <gasps> that is also thrilling and exciting. Yeah. More broadly, I think I'm in a perpetual search for ways in which I can contribute or join conversations that are relevant for me, but that are relevant for the re defense of life and for finding ways in which we can be accountable for what is happening right now in Mexican territory, which is a very, very dark moment. So I think it's important to, to transform or to overcome these paralyzing forces of, of fear and violence into something else and to still find ways in which silence or fear can turn into something that brings vital forces back. I'm looking forward for for new stories to tell, to continue, you know, agitating fact and fiction. Mm. To I think these epistemologies uh, from Mesoamerica, but also I think queer theories can, you know, shake off lots of oppressive contents that are just stuck there in the modern colonial mindset. Mm. And I'm just excited to be able to join this, to contribute to that with my practice and with the way I live. Well, thank you so much to both of you for joining me today. <laughs> thank you. For thank this you. conversation. I don't know much about Mexico or the history. So every time just being here, I keep learning about new countries. And there's a lot of similarities I find in what you talk about in your culture and what I have in my culture. And mm -hmm. I find it really interesting yeah. how there are so many parallels across the world, but also how things are really so different. And it's nice to get a, an insight yeah, into sure. that. And also just really nice to hear about both of your projects that I'm really excited to see at Proximity in whatever form they are, because I'm sure it'll be really cool. But yeah, thanks again for joining me. And no, thank uh, you. If listeners want to find you or follow your work, where can they go? Whoa, I am the worst with that <laughs> because it's been like years. I am doing <laughs> my web page and it never happened. And I okay. finished using this stories on Instagram. <laughs> 
to do whatever I do. So yeah, I mean, you can you can follow me as we say it in, mm. in, in this um, social media. That is the only one I use to okay. to relate it with my work. And yeah, it's kind of a journal of what I'm doing, what I'm playing, because I do concerts with yeah. with, with electronics or with my music or where I have another body of work. So yeah, this Instagram I can share it and okay. yeah. Nice. And for you? It can be always worse than that. If that's my case. <laughs> I don't have Instagram nor a web page that it's updated. I've been having this coming soon for ages in my <laughs> website. <laughs> but Let's I hope say it, we are busy. It, it, it will yeah. it will come soon. It will come soon. Um I don't <laughs> know. Funny. I mean I think I'm a disaster with that. <laughs> But it would be nice that people come to this uh, Rewire Festival. So the details for the festival will be in the podcast description as well as a link to your Instagram and link to Instrument Inventors so they can also see more about your projects sure. and make sure to get them. Mm. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Woo! Oi. A big thank you again to Naomi and Vika for taking the time to talk to me and as always to you for listening to our podcast. Follow us on whatever platform you get your podcast so you can be the first to know when our next episode comes out. Hope you have a good rest of your week and I'll speak to you again soon.